Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, In the church Bibles, in the green Bibles, that's page 1238. And in the large print Bibles, page 1920. Revelation chapter 7. And I'm going to read uh, the whole of this chapter. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servant of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is God's Word. Well, this is the the last um, passage we're going to look at at the Holiday Bible Club this year. 
Uh, so over this last year, when I've had opportunity to speak in the morning, uh, I've done uh, passages that we're going to look at at Holiday Club. Uh, and this one is a vision from the future, uh, where at Holiday Club, someone's going to come from the future, obviously not literally, uh, and uh, come and, and tell everybody about uh, the end of the history of the church. How does the story end? And it ends here uh, in this vision in Revelation 7. Well, most of you uh, have probably never heard of a man called Ted uh, Fujita. Ted Fujita. Now, he was a Japanese-American meteorologist who created what is called the Fujita Scale. And the scale measures the intensity of tornadoes. Uh, and they are categorized uh, between an F0 and an F5. So F standing for the Fujita scale. Um, don't confuse it with a fajita, it's Fujita. Uh, F0 to F5. And uh, F5 is the maximum intensity tornado. Uh, an F5 tornado uh, has winds that are between 261 and 318 miles per hour. And this is uh, how the destruction of that tornado is described on the Fujita scale. Uh, I quote, Cars are mangled and they are thrown hundreds, possibly thousands of yards away. Framed homes, brick homes and small businesses are swept away Trees debarked, corn stalks flattened or ripped out of the ground, skyscrapers sustain major structural damage, grass is ripped out of the ground, wood and any small solid material becomes dangerous projectiles. That's an F5 tornado. And if you are standing in the path of an F5 tornado, well, there's no way that you're going to stand. You're going to be picked up. Um, and you're not going to be taken to Oz, uh, you are just going to be wiped out, aren't you? Now, perhaps some of you this morning feel in your life that you are in the midst of something like a tornado, and you're wondering, how can I stand in the midst of this storm that is in my life? Well, Revelation 7 is here to help you this morning to know, how can I stand? How can I stand in the midst of this tornado. And who stands in the midst of the wind of God's wrath and in the midst of the wind of our trials in our life is this great theme of this chapter. And it is a most encouraging picture for the people of God. We should leave this morning really encouraged to stand because of what God shows us in this vision that he gave John here. Now, Revelation is a book written to God's people who were going through intense suffering. Uh, the Revelation is given to seven churches in Asia. You can read about them in chapters 1 to 3. And in Revelation, numbers are very important. And the number seven represents completion. And so this is uh, given as a vision to the complete people of God, to all of them. And the early church was suffering intense persecution from the Roman authorities. And John, who himself was cast away into exile on the Isle of Patmos, wanted to encourage God's people in the midst of their suffering to stand. 
to stand in the tornado of trouble. And the way that God encourages his people is by giving John a series of visions that show the history of the world from the perspective of heaven. And the word revelation means an, an unveiling. It's a little bit like if you're on a stage or looking at a stage, watching a play, the curtain is lifted up and you see what is going on behind the scenes. You see what's going on from the perspective of heaven. And what we see is that God is in control of history. He's in control of our lives. And he's bringing history to a conclusion where he is victorious with his people. Revelation doesn't give us a chronology of history, but rather gives us a series of visions that show us history from the perspective of heaven, looking down from there. And in fact, the structure of Revelation is such that in the middle of the book, where we are in Revelation 7, there is a cycle of seven divine judgments, each depicting judgment from God coming upon humanity. There are three different cycles giving three different perspectives. Uh, there's the seals, there's the trumpets, and there's the bowls. And they show the, the wrath of God being poured upon humanity from different perspectives. And Revelation 7 picks up in the middle of the first cycle of those visions. It comes after chapters 5 and 6. In chapter 5, uh, the scroll of history is given to the Lamb who represents Jesus. Jesus opens the scroll and uh, the, the scroll representing the, 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 the history of humanity uh, as it's open shows God's wrath being poured out with each seal. So in Revelation 6, you see the four horsemen bringing suffering upon the earth. Then there's the Christian martyrs crying out for God to bring justice for their deaths. And at the end of chapter 6, we come to the end of history, where we see God's wrath being poured out. So the horsemen bring, if you like, a restrained wrath. And at the end of chapter 6, we come to the end, judgment day. And people at the end of this chapter are trying to hide from the wrath of the Lamb that's being poured out. And notice the end of chapter 6. Look at verse 17. It says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? In other words, who is going to stand in the day of the wrath of God? And that's the most important question that any of you here this morning can possibly ask. You may have asked lots of questions this morning about lots of different things. But for the time we have together, I want you to consider how can you stand in this day? And the answer is found here in chapter 7. The answer is found by seeing that those who stand are those who are sealed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's what I've entitled this sermon this morning, Sealed to Stand. And this chapter presents us basically with two encouragements. Number one, we can stand because of the assurance of his seal. And secondly, we can stand because of the anticipation of his salvation. And chapter six brings both general suffering that comes upon humanity, that's the four horsemen, 
But the end of chapter 6 brings us the end, the judgment day of God. And so we're going to see how we can stand at the end, but also stand during our own suffering. So first of all then, we see in verses 1 to 8 the assurance of his seal. So verse 1, notice, begins with, After this I saw. So in Revelation, when you read that, we're seeing another vision from John, a new vision. And the vision is linked to chapter 6, because the seventh seal on the scroll given in chapter 5 is not opened yet. That comes in chapter 8. And what John sees in verse 1 is this. Four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. So what are the, the, the four corners of the earth? Well, Revelation speaks in apocalyptic language. It gives pictures and visions that represent things. And the four corners of the earth here represent the whole of creation. It's like the four points of the compass, if you like. And we see in verse 2 that the winds are destructive winds. And so linked to chapter 6, we can say that the winds are God's wrath. They're, they're, they're like a tornado in that regard. That's what the winds are. And so here, that judgment from chapter 6 is held back. Why is it held back? Well, verse 2 tells us why God's judgment is being held back. An angel in verse 2 comes from the east. Well, the east in the Bible usually refers to being away from God. And so this angel comes from where God is going to pour out his judgment. And he comes to the place where God is. And he has something in his hand. The seal of the living God. Notice that in verse 2. He has the seal of the living God. Now a seal is a mark of ownership. And in the days when slavery was practiced, a slave was marked with a permanent mark made on the skin that would show who their master was. And if the slave ran away and was caught, the mark would prove who they were owned by. Now, the Bible often teaches us that all of us are slaves to a master. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. And the difference between the two is that God is a wonderful master who loves us and cares for us as a father. And we'll see later in Revelation 7 is a, a shepherd. And the word for servants in verse 3 in the Greek means slave, doulos. It's a, it means slave. And so the seal of the living God is what marks God's people as his own. So before history even begins, before these horsemen run out, before the end, before all of that, his wrath is held back in this vision so that he can seal those who are his people. He marks those who are his own. But notice uh, in verse 2 that the angels are holding back the wind. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we've put the seal on their foreheads. So this harming refers to the judgments of chapter 6. So before God pours his wrath out on humanity, his people are sealed so that when the wind comes, when that wind blows from verse 2, they can stand. Now remember, this is a vision. We don't have a literal seal on our foreheads. 
The point is that God's people will stand because they are God's people. Now, God's people do suffer in this world. If you like, they have category zero to four of the tornadoes. Just like everyone else in the world, those four horsemen of chapter six, they affect us as well. We suffer sickness, we suffer death, we suffer famines, all sorts of things. God's people are not immune from those things, but because they are marked by him, they are his people, we can stand in those things. But God's people will not suffer the F5 final wind of God's wrath because they've been sealed. We will not face the final judgment because Jesus suffered that for us. And this is really important for us to remember. You, brother or sister, are sealed by God. You are his child. He has marked you as his. He has chosen to have you. And we all go through suffering in this life like everybody else, but nothing and nobody can take away God's mark of ownership on your life. You are permanently sealed by him. And what's wonderful to realize is that means your salvation doesn't depend on you being good enough. It's down to God sealing you himself. You can have assurance of your salvation knowing that it is God who seals you himself. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. In the words of the hymn in Christ alone, we read something that sums it up really well. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. We stand because he himself has sealed us. You, as a Christian, are his. And nobody can take that away. That's encouraging, isn't it? This assurance of his seal, encouraging us and enabling us to stand, that theme is continued in verses 4 to 8. Notice there we read that John hears the number of those who are sealed. He hears the number, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Notice that there in verse 4. Now I mentioned earlier that numbers are important and in Revelation uh, they always mean something. And in Revelation, uh, there is a special kind of mathematics, which is called Revelation Maths. It's not, in, it's not called that in Revelation, but there is such a thing as Revelation Maths. And so we have to work out what these numbers uh, mean. Well, in the Bible, the number 12 represents the, 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 the people of God, the complete people of God. So in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, the Jesus called a, a, a reconstituted people of God with 12 apostles. And when you multiply 12 by 12, you get 144. And when you multiply that by 1,000, 1,000 being in Revelation a very large number, you get 144,000. In other words, what this vision shows us is that this is all of God's people. It's the complete number, a very large number, 
of the people of God. But why then does this vision show Israelites and tribes of Israel? The reason is because what this large number represents is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That he would have a great nation that would bless all nations. This can't literally be ethnic Israel. First of all, this tribal list isn't anywhere in the Old Testament. For example, Joseph was never a tribe on his own. A Dan is missing from the list. And plus, after Jerusalem fell, all the records of who was in what tribe were destroyed. That's not literally what it means here. But we can see that Judah is first, because that's the tribe where Jesus comes from. And then we see that there are tribes of, uh, the, the, from the sons of concubines, where Joseph slept with his slave, uh, Jacob slept with his slaves and so on. Those represent people from outside, Gentiles. In other words, this is a, a unique list in the Bible representing all of God's people through all of history. But the important thing to remember is not, well, what do all these tribes mean? The important thing to remember is this. God has a list of his people, and none of those people are missing. Every single one is there. God knows the number of them. God knows who are his. It's a little bit like, in the Old Testament, an army roll call, isn't it? The roll call of an army. And he's calling out the names of the tribes, and everyone's present and correct. Everyone who's supposed to be there is there. And that's the point. Every one of God's people will be with God because they will stand because they are sealed by him. Psalm 87 verse 6 we read earlier. The Lord will write, another word really for seal, isn't it? In the register of his peoples. This one was born in Zion. You are his. He has you in his register. You will stand. Well, as well as enabling us to stand in the final judgment, knowing we are his helps us in our present trials. God does not leave you alone. Because elsewhere in Scripture, in Ephesians, we read what that seal of ownership is. It is his Holy Spirit, isn't it? He seals us with his Spirit and so God is with you in your trial, always living in you, helping you, enabling you to stand firm. So we know, because we see here at the end of time, how we are sealed. We know we'll make it in the end. And until that day, the seal of God, the Holy Spirit living in us, helps us day by day so that we can stand and reach that destination of glory, which we'll see in a moment. Isn't that encouraging to know that we have the assurance of his seal. Brother or sister, you are God's child because he has sealed you. Now sometimes we might not feel like we're good enough. That's not a bad feeling, by the way, always because you're not good enough. But you don't need to be. He has sealed us. He has chosen us. He has called us. So that's the point of Revelation 1, uh, 7, 1 to 8, the assurance of his seal. But secondly, we come to the anticipation of his salvation. Now this also helps us to stand. The assurance of his seal helps us to stand right now knowing we are his. But the anticipation of his salvation, brothers and sisters, this helps us to stand because we are going to look ahead now and see where we're going. 
We're going to look to the future. So in verse 4, John hears the number of those who were sealed. But in verse 9, he looks and he gets to see them. So he doesn't see 144,000. He hears them. But what he sees is far more than a specific number. Look at verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. God knows the number of his people. God knows the exact number. But John has no idea because he can't count them. This group that John sees is the same as the 144,000. There is a link here to the Israelites, though, in that Abraham was promised a nation that would be as numerous as the stars in the sky or as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And what does John see? An innumerable number of people fulfilling that very promise that God made to Abraham. Here is that number. I can't even count them. And notice where they're from, every nation, people, and language. The people of God are a a multi-ethnic group from the ends of the earth, fulfilling the commission of the disciples to take the gospel there, and fulfilling the promise made to Abraham that all nations of earth will be blessed. But the most important thing to notice is what they are doing before the throne. Notice, they are standing, standing. That's an important word, isn't it? Because in chapter 6, verse 16, the unbelievers are hiding from the one on the throne. They're not going to escape him, but in chapter 6, verse 16, they're running away, hiding. But here, before that very same throne, God's people are standing. You see the difference? Now, I mentioned that the 144,000 was like an army roll call. Well, here we see a picture of that victorious army celebrating their leader after a battle. They're wearing white robes. That's the attire of a victor. They're holding palm branches. Palm branches recognize their king coming in victory into a certain place, like on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when Jesus came. They lay palm branches. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the, the, the actions of the victor. And here we are, God's people standing before the throne in in the white robes and with the palm branches. God's victorious people with their God standing. We don't suffer God's, God's final judgment because we're standing. So what John sees is the sealed people of God, innumerable, standing before his throne in victory. Brothers and sisters, this is our future. We will one day be with this vast multitude of victorious believers before the throne of our amazing God forevermore. And wonderfully, John doesn't stop there. He gives us a glimpse of what this will be like. And we see in verses 10 to 17 what we'll be doing there. Uh, In verses 10 to 12, we see that we will be praising God. When we get there, we are going to praise him. The people of God cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have the words of the song, salvation belongs to our God. 
We're going to praise him for his great salvation. We're going to acknowledge that it's all because of him and the sacrifice of Jesus. We're not going to be up there saying, look how great I am. We're going to stand there and say, look how great he is. Look at his salvation. Look what he's done. Now, we get a taste of this now, don't we, when we sing together. Uh, I love singing with you. Uh, I love singing at big conferences with Christians when there's hundreds of us singing God's praises. But just imagine singing with this congregation, an innumerable number, all singing in tune to God. It will be wonderful, won't it? And in verse 11, we're joined with the angels and, and others in creation. They worship God, giving him glory. That's what the, we, we see the angels and the living creatures. Those living creatures represent all of creation. Basically, we have a version here of all creatures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and to him sing. Hallelujah. That's what's going on here. There'll be complete unity here displayed in our praise of our great God. And we'll hear it in all languages, from all peoples, even from the angels. It's going to be awesome. But in verse 13 and 14, we get a little break from the party to give John assurance of who can anticipate this wonderful time. The elders and living creatures, they're seen in chapters 4 and 5, representing angels and creation. And one of the elders asks John a question. He doesn't ask John because he doesn't know. He asks John because he wants us to know. One of the elders asks me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The ones in the white robes are those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That means that those that are going to be in this wonderful place standing before the throne are those who have accepted that Jesus Christ has died in their place for their sins and have sought forgiveness through him. If you have been forgiven because you've trusted that Jesus has paid for your sins, then you will come out of the great tribulation and stand before the throne. Now, what is the great tribulation? Well, tribulation is used a lot in the Bible to refer to trouble. And some people believe that this is a time of great trouble near the end of time. But there are Christians who are going through great tribulation all the time in history, aren't there? I mean, the people that John wrote Revelation to were suffering great tribulation in the time of the Romans. And then you have the time of the Reformation where God's people were burnt at the stake you have the time of the people of God who lived during the Soviet Union. And even today in places like North Korea and Afghanistan, I don't think we can go to them and say, well, your tribulation's not that bad. No, they're going through great tribulation. And for these brothers and sisters undergoing such great persecution, they can anticipate this wonderful reality. Because although for them it may feel like they're losing... Here we see that the Lamb wins and his people with him. 
But many of us also go through tribulation, don't we, of various kinds in this life. Many of you here this morning are going through tribulation. Isn't it encouraging to know that God will bring us out of the tribulation and place us before his throne standing in the white robes with the palm branches? Brothers and sisters, the suffering we undergo is not forever, but this is. And what suffering we undergo this side of glory can give us a greater anticipation of that which is to come. Be assured, you will stand because you are sealed by him, and this day that we're reading of here is as true as true can be. The vision is a vision, but the reality is going to be in history. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you will be there. So we've seen that we will praise God in glory, but verses 15 to 17 give us another picture of what we will be doing. We will be resting in God's presence. Resting in God's presence. Verse 15 begins with, therefore. That means that because they've had their sins forgiven, they can participate in this. And what they participate in is uh, described uh, really well by uh, a commentator called Richard Brooks, who gives three descriptions of what we'll be doing. So I'm going to just tell you what he, how he describes them. First of all, we will offer unwearied service. Number one, unwearied service. Look at the beginning of verse 15. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, serving God may not sound very exciting to you. Uh, You might be thinking that sounds pretty boring, but believe me, it's not because serving God is what we are made for. And serving day and night means we won't tire. Now, normally, when we serve in the day, we go to sleep at night. Now, some of you have to work at night and sleep in the day, but nobody works 24 hours because we get tired. What makes serving hard now is that we tire easily and it can be frustrating. But here, there is no no tiredness. What makes serving so hard now isn't there. We won't age We won't have to get to the end of the day because the day will never end. There'll be nobody who is frustrating trying to serve alongside you. And you won't be frustrating to them. In heaven, we we will serve as we were made to serve, living as we're made to live without getting tired, day and night. So unwearied service. Secondly, we will have unbounded security. Unbounded security security. Notice how we are sheltered by the one on the throne with his presence, it says, with his presence. So we're protected from all harm. Uh, The the hunger and thirst won't be there. Uh, the, The heat bearing down on us won't be there. In other words, there is nothing to harm us, is what it's saying. No sickness, No broken relationships, no antagonism from outside or even from within us will be safe forever 
with no worries. I mean, it's almost beyond comprehension, isn't it, to know absolute safety? But that's what it would be like because we're protected by the shelter of his presence. So there is unwearied service, unbounded security, and then thirdly and finally, unblemished satisfaction. Look again at verse 17. This is such a wonderful verse. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What we see here is a common picture in the Bible of a shepherd leading his sheep to pastures that are providing all that is needed. It's like the 23rd Psalm in that regard. Green pastures, quiet waters that refresh the soul. Uh, We've seen living water in John chapter 4 quite recently. This is the same author, by the way. And here we see again the the fountain of of life, never-ending, always satisfying. And it's satisfying because of the Lamb. It's interesting, note there, that the lamb is the shepherd. It's kind of a strange combination. In John uh, chapter 10, Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And I think we see there the lamb and the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life, the lamb. But what we see here is complete unblemished satisfaction. But notice, although we serve him, in unblemished service, notice how he also is serving us. He's providing the water. He wipes the tears from our eyes. There is a a perfect unity and loving relationship between us and God that lasts forever. We see at the end of Revelation, it's a little bit like a perfect marriage. Now remember, Revelation is written to a suffering people. But this suffering people can know, and this suffering people can know, that their tears will be wiped away, there'll be no more sadness, because we'll be with the Lamb forever. Has that whetted your appetite for heaven? I hope so. And when you're struggling and you find those days where you feel you can't carry on, Open up Revelation 7, will you? And, and just reread it. And if you want, just, just keep reading. Because then you get to the end and the vision kind of is very similar, isn't it? We know in the end there is victory for the people of God. You will stand because of the assurance of his seal. And you can stand today by looking forward with anticipation to the salvation that is to come. But as we conclude, I want to ask you a question. Will you be there? Will you stand the wind of God's judgment? And instead of facing that, experience this. Because you won't stand in your own strength. You won't stand because you're a good person who's tried really hard. You won't stand because of your intellect. You are not good enough, strong enough, clever enough. You can only stand when you recognize that you need Jesus to take the judgment for you, which he does on the cross. When we read of God's wrath in Revelation, 
we can read what happened to Jesus on the cross. And he did that for you. And if you have not recognized Jesus as the one who pays for your sin, then I encourage you to do that today. Because this day is coming soon. Come to Jesus. I would love to see you on that great day. It seems like it would be hard to spot because there'd be so many people, but I know we've got eternity to find each other. And I'd love one day to come and see you and stand with you and say, do you remember when we were in church in Pelsall? When we, we, we looked at Revelation 7, it's true, isn't it? And Steve, your sermon was rubbish in comparison to what this really is like. Join me on that day as we worship Jesus forever. And if you want to find out more, then I'd love to talk to you more afterwards because this is, this is exciting stuff, isn't it? Well, we're going to close by singing together uh, a song that helps, again, take our mind to this glorious future. We're going to stand uh, and sing, there is a higher throne than all this world has known. And that throne we're singing of is this very throne that we've read of in Revelation chapter 7. So let's stand and let's worship and have a little practice of singing together in the great congregation as we stand and sing, there is a higher throne. Because
testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> 